Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Okay, so um, Miguel is going to be uh, bringing uh, God's word this morning. So let, let's 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 just pray uh, as, as Miguel bring, brings the word this morning. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for. Uh, just, just the way you're working in the service here already this morning. We thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for the encouragement, um, and just how your presence makes all the difference in, in the challenges and the things that we face and the struggles, um, that we face. So we, we pray now for Miguel that, um, you would put your words in his mouth, Lord, that he would be, uh, your mouthpiece here this morning. Um, and we, uh, we just press in to you, uh, this morning as we, uh, hear from you and, and, and as Miguel proclaims your word in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, um, just wanted to give thanks to Pastor John and the eldership team, uh, for just entrusting me to, uh, bring, uh, this morning's, uh, sermon. And I wanted to speak under the title of uh, In Need of an Advocate. Um, but before I actually go into to what the Lord has given into my heart to speak to the church today, I wanted to uh, recount to you, recount for you guys the story. Uh, probably some of you guys may know the story. Uh, maybe some of you guys may not know the story. But a long time ago, um, there was a man. And this man, uh, by, the, by that standard at that time, was wealthy, had a lot of possessions, uh, had a lot of uh, wealth. Um, he had a large family, beautiful family, right? Um, and he was uh, moderately healthy uh, for his time. And not only that, he was also a godly man. Um, it would say that this man every single day prayed for his children. Um, so he had it all, right? Until one tragic day when... Everything was taken away from him. It was said that at one, in one single terrible day, a bunch of enemies that he had from foreign lands came and took away his possessions and killed his servants that he had. On that same day, it said that his children that were in, in, you know, eating supper or dinner in the same home, a terrible tragedy, a tornado or, or whatever that may be, crashed the home, killing all his children. And his healthy body um, began to form leprosy, skin disease. Has anybody caught who this person is yet? Job, right? So, in the in the in the book of Job, right, um, we see a glimpse of 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 total suffering, like something that 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 no one that you know no one should ever ever experience, right? Um, and the interesting thing is, is that during the midst of his suffering, um, he had some friends. And his friends came over to, to visit him. Now, if you've ever been sick, right, or if you've ever gone through some tough time, right, and your friends visit you, what is the expectation that you have from your friend's visitation? Encouragement. Comfort. Well, his friends decided to play the blame game on him guilt him, and tell him, you must have done something wrong because God will not punish innocent people like that. With friends like that, who needs enemies? Right? So here you have Job, who has lost his family, right? Has lost everything he has, 
and is, is, and is picking up stones from the ground, scratching his skin to find some sort of relief from the leprosy that he has. Now he's got friends, his good friends, pretty much telling him, you've done wrong. You've obviously angered God in such a way to receive so terrible punishment, you got to repent. You've got to go to God and confess your sin and do something wrong. But the interesting thing is that Job responds back saying, I didn't do nothing wrong. I didn't sin. I didn't do any evil thing. This just happened out of the blue. I actually pray every day for my family. Right? And then we get to a situation in Job chapter 9. Um, and in Job chapter 9 is, is, an, is where Job... I feel like reaches like an end point for himself because he doesn't know how to tell his friends that he did nothing wrong. But at the same time, he doesn't understand why he is suffering. He doesn't understand what he's going through. So he's basically in a situation where he says, I know I didn't do nothing wrong, but I'm obviously suffering. What's going on here? So in Job chapter 9, I just want to read this uh, quickly from verse 1 to 12. I want to read this passage, and as I read it, I'm going to ask you guys to think about your own lives and how maybe at times of your life, maybe now or maybe in past situations, you may have felt this. Job chapter 9, verse 1 through 12. Then Job replies, he's replying to his friends, Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Though they wish to dispute with him, they could not answer him. One time out of a thousand? His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves the mountains without them knowing it and overturns them with his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads out the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and the Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that can't be counted. When he passes me, I can't see him. When he goes by, I can't perceive him. If he snatches away, who can stop him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? Ever felt like that? What are you doing, God? What's going on here? How can I ever understand what the Lord is doing in my life? How can I ever understand the suffering that's going on with my life? Can you hear Job's agony here? Can you hear Job's cry of desperation? And look what happens in verse 32 and 33. He finishes off by saying, he, talking about God, he is not a mere mortal like me that I may answer to him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. If there was only someone who could bring me and God together. You know, suffering is something that everyone has to go through, if you're a believer or not, right? Everyone has to go through it, right? But as believers, as Christians that we are, we know that we serve a sovereign God that, that sits on high. We know that, that we are his children. But suffering still comes. Pain still comes. 
anguish still comes. And at times, it's not explainable. Maybe we've done something wrong. At least we could point to that and say, oh, God is disciplining me because I have, I've sinned. Or maybe some other cause. But in Job's situation, along with the situation of probably many here, we don't know. And here we have Job crying out in agony, wishing that there was someone that can bridge the gap. That there was someone that could bring God to him because he realizes, I can't confront God. I can't just be bold enough to say, God, what are you doing? Because he is God. I am creation of his. I, who am I to call upon the creator and demand that he answers me? I am just clay in the potter's hands. He is God Almighty. Only if there was someone that can bridge the gap for me. So, that's why we ask these questions. Why is this happening? Have I failed God? Or has he failed me? We need someone in our defense. We need someone to speak on our behalf. We need an advocate. So we jump a couple chapters ahead. A couple books ahead, actually, my bad. And many thousands of years later, to the first book of John, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. What's his name? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is, a, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's what I want to spend my time today to talk about, is the need for an advocate and how that is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. You see, Job's cry and that we read in chapter 9, like I said before, is similar to many of our cries. It's similar to our anguish. Maybe stuff that we're going through now, or, or maybe things that we've gone through uh, before. But here we jump many books later, thousands of years later, and we find the Apostle John here. And he writes in his epistle, right, um, this passage here, and he tells us the purpose of why this book was written, right? It says here, that my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Right? He, he writes this in, in a sense to tell us, you know, this is the purpose of, of 1st John. If you ever ask yourself, why did John write 1st John? The answer is, so you don't sin. So we don't sin. Right? And that's what John is saying here. This letter is to show you how to walk a path in holiness that makes you avoid sin. Because John realizes something very key here. He realizes that there is truly a struggle with sin in our lives. We struggle with sin, right? We we struggle with sin every single day. I mean, if you don't if you don't believe that, I would suggest you read chapter one of First John that says that if you are not a sinner, then you are a liar, right? But that's a whole different message. Um, however, 
We all struggle with sin. We, we all go through this pain. You know, there's so many temptations, and especially living in a broken world as we do today, every single day we are inundated with so many things, if it be from work or television or school or whatever, you know, we may surround ourselves with, right? It is the constant reminder that we are in a living in a broken world and that sin exists and that we are always tempted by it. That's the constant reminder. So John knows this and he writes his epistle and he says, I'm writing to this that for you guys to know not to sin. But then John realizes something else. He says that even though I'm going to write this, I know eventually you're going to sin. We're going to fail God. We're going to do things that does not please God. We're going to find ourselves in Job's situation. Maybe not in the sense where he didn't sin, but because of our failings, because, because of what we have done. But then John says, you're not in desolate, desolation as Job is. Job cried out for an advocate. But John says, you now have an advocate. You now have an advocate. We now have an advocate. We now have someone who, who, who defends us before the Father. We now have someone who stands up next to us and says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. And his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And I love how John defines him as the righteous one because the great thing about it is that none of us by our own merits is righteous. As Romans would say, you know, all have failed God, all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? No one is righteous by their own merit. So everyone needs an advocate. But Jesus is the only one who is in no need of an advocate because he is righteous of his own merit. He is the only one that by his own merit pleased God. And that is why he is qualified to be your defender. That is why he is qualified to be my advocate. That is why no one else could go to the Father in defense of me. There's a song, as I think about this, that we play Jaden, um, that says, uh, no one is um, greater than Jesus. Moses, Moses wasn't big enough, right? Abraham wasn't big enough. David wasn't big enough. It only was Jesus, right? And that, and that should bring hope, right? And, and, and that should give you some sort of like, you know, praise to him because of what he has done because now we're not alone in this journey, Right? Yes, suffering will come. Yes, pain will come. Yes, sickness will come. Even death will come, right? But all that will come. But at least this path of, death, of, of walking, right? We're not alone in it. Christ is with us. And he is our advocate and he is our defender. It reminds me of a, of a, of a time um, years ago um, where I got into some problems. Um, hopefully this doesn't disqualify me from preaching, but... Um, I was locked up in, in prison. Um, and I wish it was for something noble, like protesting in, you know, in front of a Planned Parenthood thing or, or for something like that. But no, it's not. I, I, I tried to steal a keychain. Um, so a keychain, yeah, it's dumb, right? Um, but it, and it, it was, it was in a, uh, campus store. So in, in, I was going to college, right? Uh, and in their bookstore, I saw this really awesome keychain, right? I had the money, right? Um, 
But I just figured, I'm just going to take it. Uh, I took it, and I tried walking up, and the police officer saw me, stopped me, told me, what are you doing? I said, nothing. I have nothing in my pocket. And then he says, follow me. He takes me to his office, and sure enough, security cameras caught me red-handed. Took me to jail, locked me up. <laughs> so um, next day, I was in front of a judge. And um, it's interesting. Uh, if you guys have ever been on that side of the law, uh, where you are being accused uh, for something you've done, and there's really no evidence to back it against it, you're just kind of like a sitting duck there. You have the lawyer of the of the college, right, that is showing video evidence. Yeah, Miguel did this. There it is, plain as day, right? And then now the interesting thing is my my lawyer was a court appointed lawyer, okay, and he had nothing. The only thing he had was a resume because at that time I was applying for internships. So all my credentials, all my awards, all. You know, all the good things I did was on that resume. So my lawyer hands the resume to my to the judge, and he's pretty much saying, well, Miguel's a good kid, right? First offense, right? He's got scholarships. He's in these clubs. Like, he's spitting out all the good accomplishments that I did, but it's nothing related to the crime I committed. Are you understanding this? So he, I could have been Mother Teresa at that moment, but I'm still guilty of stealing that keychain. So the judge, you know, with all the evidence, which wasn't much for my lawyer, right, notices it and still finds me guilty. So all I had to do was just community service, right? Um, thank God. But, but it could, but it made me realize something, right? Because right now I could look back at it many years later and kind of laugh about it and joke about it. But at the time then, that that I was scared, right? Because you know there were many things I had accomplished in my life. And many people looked up to me at that moment. And, you know, many people would even point to their little kids and say, I want you to be like Miguel, you know. And now I've shamed myself, right? I've literally done something wrong that if it, if word got out to these people, they would look at me differently. They would think differently of me, right? Even my own father, you know, who was so proud of me and talked to his clients about me, even told me, how would I tell my clients about you now after all this? Right, that shame mounted in. And the fear that I might be even kicked out of the university uh, because of, of, of what I did, right? Um, and not even any good work that I did. No scholarships, no good grades, no high ACT score, nothing like that can prove the fact that I was not guilty. I was guilty. What I'm trying to say here, brothers and sisters, is that Upon your own merits, we are all found guilty before God. We all need Jesus. It doesn't matter how great you have your life right now. It doesn't matter your accomplishments. It doesn't matter what you have done in your life. Suffering will come, and none of us can speak to God with boldness and go up to the heavenly throne and say, why did you do this? None of us can do that. Because we're all guilty. We're all fallen, right? And that was one realization that, that came to my mind, right? But as, as, you know, as we go back to the, to 1st John, right? 
We see Christ is our advocate, but the question has to be asked, well, why should I trust in him? Why, why should I have hope in him? Why, why, you know, it, you know, for example, I had a lawyer, court appointed lawyer, right? He did his best with what he had, but I was still guilty. Okay? So how can Jesus, being my defense attorney, being my advocate, find me innocent before God? If all my sins point to that I have failed God, the answer is in verse 2. Thanks be to God for verse 2. Look what it says in verse 2 here. It says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. How is it possible that man can be found righteous before a holy God? The answer is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through the blood of the slain lamb. That's the only way, right? That, that's, that's the only way. I, I can't present anything to God that, that, that will merit, that would, God will find me innocent, right? It is only through what Christ has done. That is why when Christ, when, when John says that Jesus is our advocate, it is not He is not successful because he has chosen, you know, a client that has, that has awesome resume or an awesome pedigree. It is not because I am awesome before God that it's very easy for Jesus to defend me. It is because Jesus has made a payment. He has made a ransom on my behalf. He has done something I can never do. And he has done it not just for me, John says. He's done it for all of you. When we think about suffering, when we think about kind of the situations in our life, you can't help to think that if you know this passage of scripture and you know what Christ has done for you, you can't, you, you have to trust him. You, you, it builds hope in our lives in such a way that, that we know that, that this is how much Christ loves me. Right? My, my, my attorney, right? He tried to do his best. But there could have been one more thing my attorney could have done. He could have told the judge, you know what, judge? He's not that awesome. I know he failed. But you know what, judge? Let me go to jail instead. He could have done that. <laughs> he chose not to do that. So actually, he didn't do everything he could, I guess. But, but what I'm trying to say here is that that's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. Right? That, that's the amazing thing, right? That, like it says in the book of Romans, right? That God shows his love for us, that while yet we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration of his love for us. Right? And, and that's the amazing thing about the God we serve. That in our suffering, in our pain, in, in our trials, in our tribulations, right? We have someone who loves us. We have someone who has paid the price for us, and we are someone who is standing at the right side of the Father, defending us. Defending us. Right? And, and this is what, you know, brings me at least, uh, so much joy, because like I said before, this is offered to all of us. I, you know, um, I always, you know, you know, to, to, you know, I, I never presume that all of us know Christ. There could always be someone who, who may not know him, right? If you are one of these people 
right? What I have to tell you is that this is good news. This is amazing news. It's amazing news for especially for those who are hurting, for, for those who are suffering, for those who, who find themselves crying at night in their pillows, for those who, who are lamenting loss that they have had in their lives. This is great news for you. That there is someone who has given his life for you in such a way to say you're not alone in this journey. Right? Sin may have shamed you. Suffering may have shamed you. Health may, you know, the failure of health may may have shamed you. But you are not alone. For, as I say here, for in our sin, Jesus speaks. The final word is not found in your failings. The final word is found in Christ. Let us always turn to that. Let us always seek that in our Lord. Amen? As I conclude, and I did want to keep it short today, I thought about going back to Job. And I thought to myself as I was thinking about this, what would I say to Job? Right, Job had uh, four friends who visited him. What if I was the fifth friend? Right? Uh, hello? Okay. What if, what if I was the fifth friend that, that was with Job? What would I say to him? I, I pray that I would not be like the other guys, just, you know, putting him down, uh, for, for what he's done. But I, that's a question that I, that we should ask our, all of ourselves. What would you say to someone who is suffering? who is going through tough times right now. You know, obviously, I hope and I pray we will not be like Job's friends. But that's a tough situation. How how can we, you know, go to Job and, and what will we say to him? Like, how can we say to those who are suffering, right? I think the answer is to say that Jesus is the answer. Come to Jesus and, and trust and hope in him. You know, they... To many unbelievers, and maybe to even people here, that sounds so simple. Trust Jesus. Hope in Jesus. But thanks be to God that it's simple. Right? Thanks be to God that it's simple. That he doesn't have us jumping through hoops and having us go through many different you know, rituals and things to try to earn his favor. The only thing he cries, he demands of us is trust. Have faith in me, right? You know, as even Jesus says, come to me all those who, who are burdened and heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. That is what he, he, he cries out to us, demands from us. Come to me. Trust me. I got this. I'm your advocate. So before we are quick to dismiss those words as vain words that are said in tragedies, like saying, oh, we'll keep you in our prayers or we'll pray for you, understand that behind the words of trusting and hoping in Jesus, it is backed up by blood. It is backed up by Calvary's cross. It is backed up by a risen Savior. It is backed up by one who ascended to heaven and had the audacity to go to the throne room and sit beside before the Father and cry and plead for our case before Him. That's what I mean when I say, Trust in Jesus. That's, that's what I'm trying to say here, right? You know, um, I'm thinking, as I, as I talk about this, I, I think about, for me, I call my Job a moment, um, the, the, which I consider the worst day of my life, which happened about 13 years ago. 
um, 13 years ago, our family went through something very terrible. Um, I had a little brother, a 19-year-old brother at the time. Um, and at that day, he was killed by a drunk driver. Um, as I, I was living in Nashua, New Hampshire at the time. Um, and uh, I was woken up by a phone call from my mother um, early in the morning saying that they killed my son. Um, I don't know if you've lost anybody, but for those who have, you could understand the grief, especially the way it went. You know, you, you know, if you have time to process this, especially if they're sick in a hospital, you've got some time to, to think about mortality. But for a 19-year-old person, their life is ahead of them. He had a one-year-old son, by the, by the way, at that time as well. So when you hear those news, first disbelief came to me. I figured my little brother's playing a terrible trick, terrible prank. That was not the case. I rushed to Chicago and then basically had to deal with the situation. Um, it broke our family. And I'll be honest with you, it broke me a lot. It, it made me almost not want to. Because here's the thing, just like Job when he prayed for his family every day, I prayed for my little brother every day. I said, Lord, protect them. You know, I know I'm thousands of miles away, but, you know, I'm doing this for our family. You know, he's got his own life. Just protect them. You know, help them out. And then you hear that news. You almost feel like God was not, was never listening. You almost feel like God was trying to be spiteful, even though I prayed that way. And I says, I, I can't do this no more. I, I can't serve a God who is like this. But you know what the interesting thing is, brothers and sisters, is that Throughout this process, right, while my faith was tested, it was through that testing where God made it stronger. I can't tell you why God took my little brother. I can't tell you why God has taken your special someone. I can't tell you why you are suffering. I can't tell you why you are sick. I can't tell you why you are going through what you're going through. I don't have the answers. But at this answer I do have, that there is hope. And there is hope in Jesus Christ. And those who turn to him and have faith will never be disappointed. They will never be disappointed. So trust in him. Have faith in him. You know, when I think about Job as well, and the agony, and that prayer of someone coming between him, I can't help to go back to Job. I just wish I could scream loud enough so, so that Job can hear me, and tell Job, your prayer has been answered. Job, your wish has been answered. There is someone who can bridge the gap. There is someone who can bring you between you and God, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So, to conclude, right? Let us remember, as the book of Hebrews says, that we do not have a high priest that is not able to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who was tempted in all sin, just like you and just like me. But the difference is, he never sinned. We have a high priest, we have an advocate. Let us never forget that. Let us turn to Jesus. Let us have faith in him. And let us trust in him and him alone. For he will never disappoint us. God bless all of you. And may God keep you.